the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And welcome to JJ, the JJ Dillon podcast. I, of course, am your co-host, JP John Paz. And with me, as always, is the star of the show, two-time Hall of Famer, the leader of the legendary Four Horsemen, the second greatest manager of all time, former WWF and WCW executive, James J. Dillon. JJ, how are you doing this evening? Very, very good. And uh, I hope you had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving as we are... Well into the holiday season, which is, uh, I'm not crazy about cold weather. And uh, in Delaware, where I live, we, for the most part, don't have the real, real weather extremes. But, you know, it, it is seasonal weather, but it's a great time of the year with all the decorations up for holidays and and uh, just a, a good time. And, of course, Thanksgiving is usually involves turkey dinner with family, and, and mine was no, no different. And um and also was uh with friends up in uh up in philadelphia and a, a day with my uh my one daughter bam or uh missy very very good and speaking of philadelphia last weekend the icons collectors fest in philadelphia at the old ecw arena last weekend we were able to uh touch base and hang out for a little bit which was very very cool for me but for most of the day obviously you were with carly but you were also with the legendary Larry at Stan Hansen. What was it like hanging out with Stan the Man? Oh, it had been a while. And uh, when we get a chance to sit down and start reminiscing stories, because we were a lot of the same places at the same time from the same era. Um, and he's uh, he's just a, he's become a great friend over, over the years and, and enjoy doing something like Philadelphia with somebody like Stan. We had a great time. Very, very cool, and obviously so many people will remember Stan for being such a tough, hard-nosed, stiff guy, but also being a legend in Japan, teaming with Bruiser Brody. I mean, mean, he is a very, very memorable guy, and I'm sure you had a lot of great memories sharing with him. Absolutely, and he he lives in Colorado, and um, so I don't get to see him all that often, so this was really a special occasion. It really made the weekend for me. I and I enjoyed the time with him and, and with all the fans that came to uh, to share it with us. Very, very cool. Now, this week on the show, we will be talking about another WWF topic from the early to mid-90s. And that is, of course, another scandal, the steroid scandal, which was another bad controversy for the WWF. It seemed like one after another going on with the Terry Garvin situation that we talked about with kind of hogan on his way out and all this other stuff popping up and then all of a sudden in 93 a little bit of a (laughs) vince mcmahon trouble if you will i mean vince mcmahon gets indicted by federal court over the steroid controversy what was it like in the wbf at this time going on with the steroid controversy just absolutely nuts yeah it was a very tense time and of course there was a newspaper in new york that uh, were never big fans of vince to start with and so that really gave them um, something to, to jump on the publicity train. And, and, uh, you know, unfortunately it, it meant a lot of, uh, a lot of negative pop, uh, publicity in that era. And I was in charge of the, the, uh, drug enforcement pro- uh, program at that time for the company. It was placed in charge with it. And it was something that, 
you know, and, and I, I, I had my own personal opinion uh, when I came into the business as a as a young talent back in the seventies. Um, the steroid thing was was not uh, a very big. There was something uh, a tablet called Dianabol that some guys took just to bulk up a little bit or add weight, and then. Um, you know, people in the wrestling business uh, interacted with a lot of uh, weightlifters, and uh, it eventually, over a period of time, the, the the thing got to be a huge, a huge industry in and of itself uh, with steroids. And uh, even to this day, I think not everyone knows. For those that that chose to to use steroids for whatever the reason. Um, no one knows what the long-term lingering effects are over the passing of time. Uh, you know, I remember in the early days they talked about, well, you know, it could affect your genitals and and maybe uh, men that take steroids having trouble fathering children and there were there was a lot of things and I don't know how much was truth, how much was uh, rumor. I was fortunate personally in that I was I was tall. I looked, appeared bigger in the ring uh, than my actual weight. If you put me on a scale and looked at me and said, oh, I thought you weighed more than that. And so I never, never was even tempted to want to get into the thing of, uh, uh, you know, I'm looking in the mirror and not being satisfied with, with what I saw. I, I, I wanted, I think it is important in our industry to have the appearance and I go back to when I was a fan. When a, when a wrestler walked through a door, you would do a double take because you'd say, "Hey, that person." Even if you didn't know who it was or know him by name at that in the, at the initial time, you you would know they were somebody. And as time passed uh, and, and different eras, um, there were smaller guys that came into the business that, that had very successful careers that. Um, the image of of size uh, wasn't as as important as it was back when I first broke into the business. And if you think about the WWF and what supposedly "quote unquote" Vince McMahon likes is those big, muscular guys. And of course, I think a lot of people realize, but wow, that guy is huge. Maybe he's on something. He's on the gas or he's on the juice. You know, they they kind of just assume. And, and during that period, a lot of the guys obviously were and some of them would get popped and everything else. So when Vince McMahon stood trial as he basically has these very, very serious allegations that he is knowingly distributing steroids, were you kind of thinking like, wow, yeah, shit, you know, or excuse my language, but wow, uh, Vince is going to be in trouble for this. Yeah, I was there at the time. And then, uh, it, uh, steroids were a controlled substance. So when it involved, um, rumors or proof of them being distributed, especially where across state lines, that, that became a criminal offense, uh, for sure. And so it was, a it was a, a tough time and, uh, it came under a lot of scrutiny. And though I personally never took, never took steroids, I had no, I was tall. So that, that helped me. And I had an athletic body though. I'd never had a, 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 um, a like a weightlifter's wedge shape, you know, big broad shoulders and tiny waist. Uh, you know, I just was proportioned and big enough that uh, I could have a successful career without ever having to worry about, uh, you know, taking something to add uh, to add weight to enhance my appearance. Because there was talk about, well, you don't know what the long term effects of, of this is. Some of some of it was more immediate. The, the guys would would talk about, and then it became and it came something where, well, I, and I and I will say this: I never ever heard any promoter. I'm not only talking about Vince McMahon. I'm talking. I'm not talking about any promoter who ever mandated, hinted, advocated for a wrestler to uh, take any kind of substance to put on weight to enhance their, their size, which 
you could argue would probably make them maybe more more marketable. Uh, it was an individual decision. There were guys that took it that that felt that they there were some guys who struggled with their parents looking at themselves in the mirror and 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 with that little bit of uh, help uh, and and enhance their appearance. It was something that they totally embraced because they liked what they saw in the mirror. Thank God I I never had that problem. I, I never, um, never, never even contemplated. And what 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 happened then too was because there was an unknown thing of of what the long term effects are. Um, they used to I think they called it cycling, which was a uh, term that guys working out in the gym that wanted to push more weight also would take steroids and of course a lot of wrestlers worked out in the gym so um that's where the 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 steroid thing uh spilled over into the wrestling profession because even guys that were just going to the gym uh to train uh, that's why every gym that I've ever been in, all I see from wall to wall is uh, is mirrors. Because <laughs> guys, guys like to train, pump up, and then like what they see in the mirror. Oh and, yeah, yep. And, and you know what I'm talking about. And so if 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 they take something that that enhances that a little bit, I can see where that that is something that would be very attractive to some of those guys that. Well, they think, I don't think there's any long-term harm in this. I'll take it for a couple of weeks, get off it for a week. And then, you know, they, they convince themselves that they were minimizing any potential long-term effects because at that point, nobody really knew if, if, if there were any. It's kind of crazy when you think about it, like, oh, wow, you know, these guys are getting big, they're getting bulked up, and all of a sudden, boom the federal government's getting involved and boom, they could get in trouble for it and crossing state lines and different things yeah. like that. You almost don't even think about it. You're like, wow, these guys are looking, they look great. Like, look, oh, wow, you know, look at Warrior, look at Bulldog. Wow, they look great. You don't think like, wow, there's some serious ramifications if they get caught or if they're selling it or who they're buying it from. It, it is crazy. It, was it scary being in charge of, of drug enforcement and, and the test and stuff at that point as far as your role? Uh... There was pressure by media because uh, a big part of of success in wrestling was not only what you're able to do mechanically and athletically, but what your physical appearance was. And if some guys were borderline, uh, taking something to add that even just 10, 15 pounds um, – could really make a difference in what their what their appearance was in, in the ring, and so that's why it was something that was uh, it was very popular. Um, supposedly, not supposedly. I know that they were they were originally steroids were originally um, I don't know invented is the right word or formulated for people who had suffered illnesses where they lost a lot of a lot of weight and doctors prescribed them to help people you know get back to their normal normal body weight and then of course people in the wrestling business said well if somebody who's you know used to be you know 200 pounds and they're down to 160 because they were ill and the doctor gives them a prescription to take these and all of a sudden you know it 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 speeds up the process of them getting back to their body, natural body weight of 190 or 200 pounds. And in some cases, you know, going over that number, you know, or now they're 210, 215. And uh, a lot of them noticed that, wow, they, they liked the difference in, in what their physical appearance was looking in the mirror. And it, it, that, that's what really motivated a lot of guys to, to do it. Cause there are some guys who, if, if if they didn't take uh, and, uh, steroids, um, may may not have made it in the business because you know what you did in the in the ring and all was was very important. Um, you know you had to you know that was very competitive too. But I I couldn't deny that the big part of the whole package was 
your appearance in the ring, what you look like. And there were a lot of guys who, who emphasized so much on their appearance and promoters that were attracted to guys that, that had that appearance, many of whom were not very gifted athletically and, and were mm. not great performers in the ring, but because of their look, you know, we're able to get into our business and make a living. Now, any of those guys, like, not looked down upon, but were they like, man, by any like other guys, like saying, like, man, that guy's just here because his body, or man, if that guy wasn't on steroids, he wouldn't be here in the WBF. Any of that kind of like back talk, or any of that come to you and say, like, oh, this guy shouldn't be here, or anything like that? Um, I can't remember, to be honest with you, uh, hearing much conversation like that. Um, were there guys that probably thought it? Yeah. Because there were guys that, you know, the booker in most territories was somebody who was also, was also working. It was very rare that you had somebody who was the booker who was not a talent. And so there were some guys that used to say, used to say, well, he's on top. He's featured. He's making, he's, he's in the programs. He's making more money. And the only reason is because he's the booker. And, and that's where he books mm -hmm. himself. Um, and it probably was true to a degree. Um, so there was always talk, you know, that, that, and there were guys that, uh, you know, you would make a trip in the car and you might, might be just two of you in the car where they, they would maybe, if they got to know you on a personal level, would, would speak more freely and openly than they would if they were in a, in a group in the car with, you know, maybe four people. And there were some that felt, um, that certain guys got pushed stronger, more television time, more featured spots because of their size. And they felt in many cases that that was, that that size, that appearance was because of, uh, of, of, of steroids. Absolutely. I can think of, uh, I'm not going to really mention, but I can think of so many guys like, wow, that guy is huge. And probably why they're using him or that's why he's on TV. Maybe he's not a great worker. Maybe he doesn't have great charisma. But I mean, man, this guy's got a great look. But thinking about that time period, and you mentioned that there's no promoter that you've ever seen that mandated, hey, you got to take steroids. But it was kind of known or somewhat known that Vince himself was using steroids and was taking steroids. I mean, he was huge and still is to this day. Huge guy. Was that one of those things where the wrestlers were like, hey, with the owners doing it, you know, it's okay for us to do it? I, I don't remember it being talked about openly, but I'm sure because Vince, now Vince trained hard too because mm -hmm. uh, we did a lot of work uh, on the creative side, as I've said before, at it, at it, most of it was done at his home, like on weekends. But uh, either he'd have a workout before, a workout after. So uh, Vince was very was very fit, and he he trained hard. And most guys that uh, that train and have good results like what they see in the mirror, and that's part of what uh, motivates them to keep doing what they're doing, and and some even to uh, to push harder and to try and get even bigger. At this point, when it's going on, and, and first you start hearing about it and stuff, and you're in charge of kind of getting these guys and getting them drug tested and things like that, anything like before that were like they were really talking about steroids, or they only really kind of focused in on steroids when Vince really got in trouble for it? Like, was there any kind of was this all a reaction, or was there anything beforehand kind of put in place to kind of block steroid use? I, I, I feel that the publicity from the one newspaper in New York that was not a big fan of Vince, um, you know, really scrutinized, uh, the possibility that there were steroids and, and triggered, uh, additional scrutiny. Um, and, and for me personally, and I got, I was put in, 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 charge of the of the of the drug program and the and the deal was that in order for it to have credibility there was a um a doctor who was in charge of the program 
and I worked uh, one-on-one with him. And the deal was he would determine so that it, it did remain totally random. He would determine when there was going to be a test. And he would be the one to to contact. He had a, a list of doctors where he would come, come contact the doctor. And then late in, the, in that same day, right before I would leave to go to the arena, so I would get a call basically saying, uh, make sure you're one of the first people there tonight because, you know, that we're, we're having a test tonight. So I didn't have much advance warning, which was a good thing so that nobody could ever say that, well, I told somebody, you know, in advance. That, in other words, there was a, a, a true faith effort to try to, to make it as uh, legitimate as, as possibly could be the case. And, and that I feel good about that. And, um, it, it was a legitimate, it was a legitimate program. Now, the, the, the thing that I struggle with was that yes. Okay. Steroid use is illegal unless it's prescribed by a doctor. And if somebody's not recovering from some kind of an illness and, where it's prescribed by a doctor to make sure that person puts weight back on to get their body weight back up. In the absence of that, it's it's uh, therefore illegal, which was readily available. Guys, guys could get it because um, the, the medical profession, I guess, didn't look at it as something that it wasn't like, um, you know, so cocaine is an example. It wasn't something like that that was. Considered a hard drug, and so steroids were, though not being used as they were initially intended for somebody recovering from an illness where they lost a lot of weight and to help them to get back to their normal weight, it now was something that uh, was being used for an entirely different purpose, which was to enhance whoever chose to take them, their appearance. And I, and I, even though I was in charge of the of the program, I never had a problem with. I, in other words, I didn't take it because I didn't feel the need to. I didn't, I looked in the mirror and could I have been bigger? Yeah, but I also was not somebody that went to the gym and pumped weights and was a gym rat because I wasn't. It's just I was tall, gave the appearance in the in the uh, in the ring of, of of being bigger than what my natural weight would indicate if you met me outside the ring. And I, I guess somebody could have made a case. Well, you know, if you if you took took something and could put on another fifteen pounds or something, boy, that would really change your look for the better. And maybe that would translate into moving up the card uh, and being used differently because of of your appearance. And I think that's what a lot of guys did. You know, they looked in the mirror and they made a conscious decision of, you know, I, I, I don't look a whole lot different than, than every, anybody else or somebody walking off the street. So I need that help. And it became a individual decision. And as I said, I never heard a promoter to say to somebody, well, I can book you or I can use you better if you take something and, and, and look bigger than what I'm looking at right now, other than what you would do if you were not somebody who trained hard in the gym with weights and what have you and made a conscious effort to, to, um, you know, to, to work out harder in the gym and, and to put on and, and put on weight as a result of, uh, training and not as a result of anything that you took into your body in the way of a chemical. Now I may have a different kind of thought on this, but Technically speaking, pro wrestling isn't a real sport. If I mean, not to you know, sound crazy or anything, but if, let's be honest, it's not a real sport. So what would steroids, if someone would take steroids, what's the advantage of taking it besides looking great? Shouldn't all wrestlers as- aspire to look great? You know what I mean? I, so I, I have a weird feeling like 
if it's baseball, yes, okay, they're cheating for an advantage. If it's football, yes, they're cheating for an advantage. You know, whatever. Isn't it a little different wrestling? Isn't that kind of weird that they were coming after them so hard for steroid use when it's just kind of, uh, you know, it's it's a performance. It, it's not technically a real sport. Am I, am I crazy in thinking that? Well, a lot of guys felt that uh, by taking steroids, uh, increase their, you know, as it, they would have more fluid retention in their body so that they would they would add weight. And if you looked at a before and after picture, you could say, wow, yeah, I can see this. Uh, you know, the guy, I can see the difference. And if you're in a competitive business where fans look at somebody and a, a, a guy can be great at, uh, at mechanics and, and techniques in the ring, but not have the ability the appearance appearance was a big part of it that fans look at somebody and form an immediate impression or a first impression of what somebody looks like in the ring. And there's little things that, that the guys could, could do like, um, uh, like, uh, if some guys that didn't have big legs could, uh, and I, there's one guy who is, uh, I don't want to single his name out and mention it, the, who was at the top of our game who did not have big calves. And he wore a, a higher boot that actually had um, like implants in the back of the, of, the, of the boot that gave the appearance of having bigger calves than what he really had. Huh. So... That aspect of it was very real, even for people at the at the highest level. They wanted to look the best that they could be, and it, again, it's very competitive. So, if two guys were standing side by side, and one guy was 15 pounds, if they if they their natural weight would have been exactly the same, but the one guy is is, is taking steroids, and um is now 15 pounds heavier than what his normal body weight would be without them. A lot of times, uh, if you're looking at the two of them and which guy do you want to give a push to, it, without getting into, well, I really shouldn't pick this guy because he's doing something the other guy isn't. But it's, it's a very competitive business. And if you see a guy that has a better look for you and think thinks that you think that you could do more with him, He's the guy you're going to go with. And if it's because he's taking steroids, that is a, a personal decision that he made. It's not like you mandated that he do it so that he does get that opportunity. I don't know if that makes sense to you or if that's crazy, but yeah, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's the reality of how it was. So we're talking about doctors and stuff like that, and obviously Dr. George Sahorian, he you know, will pop up anytime you start talking about this drug test who is he really i mean i mean we know he's a, a commissioned doctor for the state of pennsylvania but i mean who is he to the wwf as far as you know pushing drugs and getting them stuff is he just a, a doctor that a lot of the wrestlers knew would get them steroids and get them stuff i think that's what happened uh because um he was a commissioned doctor so he was assigned at uh um most, if virtually not all the of the uh, the events in eastern Pennsylvania and would spill over uh, out, outside the borders of Pennsylvania. So he became something that uh, the talent were very familiar with. And, you know, I never got into investigating him, but it was, you know, it was rumored that uh, that he could get stuff for the guys that wanted it. Now, he obviously plays a big role, and, and he's going to be in a little bit of trouble himself. Did, I don't even know like how to word it, but like did Vince and him have a relationship, or you would have no idea about that? I would have no idea about that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> because, it's, I mean, obviously, if the guys know him, they're getting stuff for him, you know, it, different things are going to pop up, and maybe Vince will pop up on, on who he, he does to, you know, sells to and, and things like that. But obviously the, the feds were on to him and, and they're on to Vince. So Vince has to put someone else in charge, 
for the meantime. And he uh, apparently, you know, it says that now in charge of WWF is Linda McMahon. He puts his wife in charge for the time being. Was that fake or was she really in charge of the WWF for, for a period of time? Uh, she was in charge and she, uh, on the fourth floor of Titan Tower, Vince had an office at one end overlooking the, the beautiful view because he had window, windows on the corner overlooking the, the, the sound out there. It was just gorgeous. And adjacent to his one wall, my, my office was on the other side of the wall where I had an okay view out the window. And at the other end of the hall, uh, at the other end of the hall was a, a bigger set of um, offices, and that was Linda's office, both on the both on the fourth floor. And Linda was a very, very smart businesswoman, very smart. And so, a lot of the business decisions, uh, you know, things regarding licensing, merchandising, those kind of things, that was that that was her bailiwick and, and she was very good at it. What was she like as a person? A lot different than Vince, nicer, easier to deal with, anything like that? Um, I love, you know, I got along great with, with both of them. Um, uh, uh, I don't even know how to answer that. Uh, I mean, cause mm-hmm. I did a lot of work at the house, uh, with Pat. And when Pat was on hiatus, I was there with just Vince and I, and, uh, because it, one thing about Vince, he was hands-on with everything involved with the with the product. So um, during the week, if if they had, you know, pay-per-view coming up and they 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 were going to put a poster, uh, the the poster for the event, um, Vince would would have to he would maybe look at several options and he would be the one to had the final decision on 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 making the you know, making the pick, uh, when a new talent would come in, Vince would interview him and I would be part of that process. And Vince would, would try to find out about their background, what they did. And a lot of times if it wasn't obvious or if he didn't have a strong preconceived notion of what he wanted to do with that person character wise, he would just, he would then send them off to a department that did um, did the costume designs and so forth. And a lot of times, if he didn't have a preconceived direction that he wanted to take, he would turn it over to them and say, you guys look at him, and you're, you're looking at him now from a whole different perspective. And, you know... Brainstorm on what you think. Come, feed me some feed. Give me some feedback. Give me some ideas as a for a potential character. And that did happen a lot, where they would come back with a couple ideas, where they would look at a, a, any one individual and um and, and you know create a uh, drawings with a outfit and whatever. And Vince would look at it and sometimes, wow, I love that. And and the other big part of it is uh, that he wanted the talent to feel good about whatever direction you were going to take them uh, persona-wise, character-wise. And that's why a lot of times if you could uh, find something in their past, like Big Boss Man worked, uh, you know, as a, uh, he worked in corrections or law enforcement or something. So that was then an area where, you know, being in, wearing, uh, you know, blues with a, and carry a nightstick wasn't totally foreign to him. You weren't giving him something so far from anything that he'd ever done. And Vince tried to do that as much as possible. And every now and then that the, the people in that did uh, costumes and what have you would take somebody and see something in him that maybe I wouldn't or Vince wouldn't. And they would come back and they would have a drawing and they'd say, boy, somebody or a couple of people in the group said, this guy would be great as this and give you and and a lot of times that was what we would end up running with and speaking of kind of those crazy characters during that time and a guy big boss been feuded with was nails kevin watch watch so when he comes out as one of the prosecution's witnesses during this thing and says that oh yeah 
Vince, uh, you know, he made us use drugs. It was an order by Vince. And obviously, uh, Jerry McDivitt, the great WWF uh, head attorney, great lawyer, kind of basically killed his credibility and all that other stuff in court. But when Nails comes out and, and says stuff like that, does anybody believe him or, or is his credibility kind of shot? We're like, okay, he just hates Vince. They got into a physical confrontation. You can correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. on that. Yep. They got into a physical confrontation. So does he have credibility there or is, is no one really buying what Nails is saying? You know, it depends on what side of the fence you lean towards. That if you, it, it, I'm not sure how I could find the words. It's like, People could take a position and convince themselves, and this is a bad example, I talk about something biblical, but there is somebody that could have a position and and point to certain passages in the the Bible that, that say, boy, it very clearly is here, it says this, and then somebody else can, can look at the opposite end of the spectrum and quote from other chapters in the Bible that say direct the opposite. So it's like if you have a strong feeling about something, you can come up with some kind of justification or whatever that, uh, um, that maybe it maybe only convinces you or you, you, you still feel strongly about it and, um, you know, end up, you know, convincing others to your, your, uh, your point of view. Now that physical confrontation, so rumored that you know nails beat the crap out of him. I was choking him, all this other stuff. Do you remember what happened in in, in that, that fight? That obviously pre the steroid trial and pre him saying all this bad stuff about Vince WF. But do you remember that fight at all? Yeah, I was there that night, and oftentimes um, Pat or myself would be in there, so there would be somebody. Uh, else in the room and then I, I don't remember what the circumstances were that night because there was so much going on at TVs that they were that you know just the two of them were in, in the room and all of a sudden there was some scuffling where you know some furniture getting knocked over and it all happened very quickly and it got got nails out of, out of the and he, he alleged that you know Vince made an inappropriate physical advance to him Ah, I wasn't there <laughs> in the room. It was not consistent with anything that I'd ever seen from Vince, which is not to say that I guess it couldn't have happened, but it was really out there in my in my opinion. And nobody will know because there was only the two of them in that room. And I think after that, we always try to make sure that there was always a third person in the ring, so in the room, so that something like that couldn't couldn't happen again, where it's, you know, he said, he said type of thing. So crazy thinking about like nails beating up the owner and like choking him and <laughs> like it's like it's like what like how does that like escalate into that i mean who knows what what nails are saying if true or not true and it all happened very quickly people stormed in the room and it was over a, almost as, uh, within moments after it started i mean it just like whoa, whoa what's all what's you you if there's a, a meeting in the room you don't expect this all of a sudden a chair or something get knocked over and it's like oh and it wasn't like uh, when he met with talent that the door was locked and there was nobody else in the room. Uh, Pat could go in there. I could go in there. Um, and, and maybe we were doing other things and, a and a conversation might start between Vince and the talent. And then we would come in and sit down and just, uh, be there for whatever input we may have, or just to, to listen in on what was said. Now, the far, as far as Nail saying that Vince ordered him to use steroids and stuff, the only problem with that is their big star witness, the biggest of them all, the, the you know the best, the best ever, the biggest name in WWF history, Hulk Hogan, the key witness, says the opposite and said Vince never ordered them. But the thing is, Hogan does say that Vince did use them. So Vince was mad on one instance that he's saying that 
Hogan this is is saying that Vince did use him but the other the other instance he's kind of getting Vince off and basically getting him out of trouble by saying of course he never ordered us to use it what was your kind of take on, on Hogan at this point because he is ripping Vince in one instance kind of or telling the truth I guess you could say but he's also kind of exonerating him as well yeah and that that's another way you can look at it if you're being an outsider and being objective you could say well by that comment um, it basically le- legitimizes the whole thing that he doesn't completely whitewash Vince and say this guy was an, it, it's it's to me it's it sounds like a very logical, honest story. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was my take on it. And if you think about it, when Vince is eventually exonerated, it did bring just horrible, horrible negative publicity to WF, just this whole thing. But with Hogan kind of saying that, it, it's got to breathe kind of a, a fresh air. WBF, was, was that the case? Or was it like, well... You know, we didn't think Vince was going to get in trouble anyway, but this is a huge blow. Or is it like, oh, thank God, we all thought Vince was going to jail. Thank God he got out. There were times when Pat was there and the creative was being done on weekends with uh, with Vince, Pat, and myself. And so we could talk very openly Um whether it was about talent, whether it was about something, a match, uh, you know, it, it was, you didn't feel uh, of the three of us that we had to be guarded what we said to Vince, either whether it was a comment or whatever. It was, uh, which I think is a big reason why it was a time where the company was so successful because of three people that were making creative decisions and carrying them out, there was a, a genuine camaraderie between the three of us. He was the boss. We were working for him. But um, it was a very, very comfortable uh, working relationship from my standpoint. Were you worried about him going to jail? Well, that's the other thing I was going to say, that that more than one occasion – Vince would say, with just he, Pat, and I, he would he would say, "Well, you guys need to take good notes." And and Vince was convinced that, and and his his logic, which made sense, is when the government spends time and money and effort. They're going to get their pound of flesh. And Vince was convinced that because of that, that they were going to get him for something. Uh, And he was convinced that he was probably going to go to jail for some period of time. Maybe not a long time, but he was convinced that when the government's out to get you, they're going to get you. and, And I'm no different. And... They're probably going to hang something on me, and I'm going to end up doing time. And he used to joke. He said, you and Pat, I have to come up on visiting days and bring your yellow pads with you and take notes. <laughs> <laughs> and and the company's got to keep rolling, and you guys are will be the guys that are uh, that are doing it while I'm, I, I'm not free to be there sitting with you. And he'd laugh about it. Wow. That conversation happened more than once. So he was kind of legit nervous and worried what was kind of what were the the talks like let's say you know he goes to jail is this the point where he's like okay i'm bringing in jerry jarrett and he's going to replace me and he's going to be the head of the wbf the the like there was a period of time there where he was convinced that this this was about to happen and i don't know how it how it I think we we would talk openly, and I would say, "Well, Pat and I, Pat and I could, because we've been here a long time with you, Pat, longer than me. We know we we without just bluntly saying it, but especially with Pat, he knew what Vince's likes were and what his dislikes were, so that things that he knew that 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 
ah, Vince wouldn't like. Never got put on the table because Pat would say, no, Vince will never go for that. Let's not waste time and effort. And we're not going to try and sell him on something that, that he's just totally against. And Pat knew Vince really well. And there was plenty of other directions that we could go without saying, okay, we, we're, you know, we got to pick something that we feel strongly about, even if Vince doesn't, and we got to make him see it our way. Never got into those kind of discussions because it, it was just, it would have been wasted energy, to be honest with you. Was Jerry Jarrett ever hired by WBF at that point? What happened was Vince was convinced that he was going to do some time. And he said that we should prepare ourselves for that. What I don't want to use the word eventuality, but that's the word that immediately comes to mind. In other words, he, he felt that strongly that the government's out to get him. They're going to get him for something, even if it's not a, even if it's a short term thing. And that, that Pat and I had our hands full and Vince, yes, we could go and, and visit him and bring our pads and take notes, but somebody has to be hands on that's, that's at Vince's level running the company. And I told Vince, I said, there's one guy out there who I've worked for who's the only guy I can think of who has done what you do. And by that, I mean overseas television, oversees every aspect of the business. And I said, the only difference is that he's obviously done it on a much smaller scale. And he said, who is that? I said, Jerry Jarrett. He said, you have a relationship with Jerry? I said, yep. He said, would you have Jerry give me a call? So I get a hold of Jerry. Jerry calls Vince. Uh, they talked for a couple hours. And there were, this went on for a couple weeks. And then finally, Vince says to me, I'd like to... They, they hit it off very well right from day one. And he said to me, he said, I'd like to have Jerry come up here and... So that was proposed, and I talked to Jerry. And at that point, uh, his son was the captain and quarterback of the football team in high school and played on Fridays. And so Jerry said, "I I don't want to. I one thing. First of all, I I I, I wouldn't want to move up there. It's not like he was looking for a job or needed needed." Uh, he, Jerry didn't need to be there financially or in any other way. And the fact that he wanted to be home every Friday to, uh, to see his son play football and have the weekend at home with his family. So I re relayed that to Vince and he said, no problem. He said, uh, he can fly in on Monday. We put him in a really nice hotel and, um, Thursday evening or Friday morning, depending on the circumstances, he flies home so he's there and not at risk of missing his son play play football. And um, he even said he, the number was that he wanted to pay Jerry to under those arrangements was uh, was substantial, and he said and. I will do it in the form of a contract. Talk to Jerry. Jerry said, okay, so it's like, first of all, he wanted Jerry to come up and spend a little time with Vince to make sure that that was something that Jerry would be comfortable with. So for three weeks, Jerry came up and actually lived in Vince's house. Had meals there, slept in the house, stayed with him. On the weekend, still went home. And then that just... Uh, Gave gave Vince a chance to uh, really get to know Jerry, and that everything that I had said about him—that I thought that he he was the only person in the industry that I felt, on a much smaller scale, had had been involved in an operation in like in Memphis where 
he 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 oversaw everything, TV and everything, much like Vince did, but obviously a much smaller scale. So it, it was okay to have Jerry move up, and then um, we were going to find him a, a, an apartment to live in. He would come up on Monday, be there for the week, Thursday night or Friday morning. He would then fly home, be there for uh, for his son's uh, f- football game, and then be with his family for the weekend and, and fly back up. And and so we'll give him a con. And it was, it was really he paid he, he really paid him well. And so this was at a time when Vince was convinced that the government was going to get him for something. It's, and his logic was any time that they spend the kind of money that they've spent and the effort that they've done, they're going to, get, they're going to find something to get me on just to justify all the effort that, that they've put in and the expense they've put in to do it. Now, that never happened. They never, mm-hmm. they never got to that point. And so when it became obvious that, that Vince was not going to... Uh, you know, go in jail and the, the emphasis of a need for somebody to be in Vince's role had changed. Then Jerry said, uh, there's, it makes no sense for me to keep coming up here. You're paying my airfare up here. You're paying me a, a, a fee and you're not going anywhere. You're going to continue to run your own business. So meanwhile, he'd been under a contract. So Jerry was, uh, I worked for Jerry. So he's one of those people that I have tremendous respect for and admiration for his knowledge of the business. He, he is the closest that I've come to in all my years in the business. And I've worked for just about everybody that I could say, would come close to what Vince's uh, role was with his company, again, only on a, a little bit of a smaller scale. So finally, Jerry said, Vince, you're, you're obviously, you know, your worst fear is not coming to, to fruition. You're not, they're not going to get you. You don't have to go to jail. It doesn't make sense for me to keep coming up here. And Vince said, okay. And then because we had put him under a contract, Jerry called me and he and he said, "You're paying me, paying me well, and I have like a year contract, and let's void the contract. There's no need for me to come up there, and there's no need for to continue paying me because the the scenario has all changed." So I went to Vince and I said, "Jerry, Jerry wants to basically void the contract and doesn't want you to continue paying him." And Vince said, "You know." He's a stand-up guy, and I want to honor the term of the contract. Continue to pay him. I called Jerry, and I said, uh, Vince will not even entertain the idea of voiding the contract, and you're going to continue to get checks and because uh, um, Vince feels that, that you, it was offered to you in good faith. You were ready to come here in good faith, and he, wants, he doesn't want to void the contract. He wants to honor it. And Jerry continued to get paid for that year. And a lot of money. And it was Jerry who suggested, because the, the deal had changed, to void the contract. He he didn't want to take money that he didn't feel he was earning. So it says a lot about Vince. It says a lot about Jerry. Absolutely. That is crazy and yep. just awesome on, on kind of both their parts. You're right. Both definitely stand-up guys as far as yep. that. Yep. So. So Vince gets exonerated. What happens now with like the steroid policy? Is he crazy about it? Like, hey, you know, we got to cut this crap out. Like, is he even more kind of crazy at this, or is he the same almost? Like, okay, you know, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. You know, make sure that you're being drug tested, or did he kind of go over the top with it? No, it was because I was put in charge of it. Continue to do what I was doing, and what would happen? is that Vince was not mentioned in the written policy. Linda helped draft the the written policy, and I was named as the company representative uh, in charge of and overseeing 
the, 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 the drug policy and that I would work one-on-one with the doctor. He would determine when the random tests were and he would call me just hours before and tell me that, uh, that they were going to have a test that night. So nobody else knew. And I would tell the agent, um, and which he, when by that conversation, he would have an idea and I'd say, just make sure that you're not late getting there tonight. I want you the first one in the door. And so that was kind of, whoa, okay. And, but it also wasn't early enough that they could then, in theory, warn, start calling all the guys, say, oh, there's going to be a test coming. There wasn't time for that either. So it didn't, uh, in my, in my opinion, uh, in any way tarnish the credibility of their program. That was a very legitimate program. And when there was a, a, a random test, and if somebody failed the test, the doctor would call. Uh, the doctor would would call. He would call me. Vince was out of it, totally out of it. He would call me, and um, the the deal was. I think the uh, the first thing was like three weeks. Uh, you're off immediately three weeks and no pay. And then the, the second one was more stern. The third one was three strikes, you're out. But um, it, was, it, it was a legitimate policy. I was in charge of it. Vince had nothing to do with it. And I worked uh, uh, one-on-one with, with the doctor that was uh, overseeing it. It is the dawning pretty much after this the dawning of the new generation. So Hogan's on his way out. He heads to WCW. And then really this would be the beginning of the new generation and kind of starting basically a new, you know, the pun intended. I mean, they're starting new with, with all these guys getting rid of the steroid guys and they're going to bring in, not really bring in, maybe just kind of elevate him and push some guys and some naturally big guys like Undertaker is going to get even more of a push and and Diesel and Brett, who's not a steroid guy at all, is going to be kind of the face of the company as your pure wrestler. Shawn Michaels would, would be getting a little bit of a push. Jerry Lawler is obviously going to be a top heel. Then you got the Diesel, Undertaker, Yokozuna, Mabel, uh, Duke the Dumpster, Hosties of the World, Scott Hall, who were just naturally big. Was that kind of the thing by Vince? It's like, well, we won't have big guys from steroids. We're just going to get naturally big guys or guys like Brett who are really good wrestlers and will show that the steroid era is gone. I don't know that he broke it down that specifically, but I think that was what Vince was, was saying. In other words... We are going. We're going to have and continue to have a legitimate drug testing program, and the and it's like once the once the guys know that it is legitimate, that they're going to get a random test, not be warned in advance, and if you fail the test, you're looking at three weeks off with no pay, with no exclusions, no exceptions. So, talent knew at then that. This thing was uh, dead serious. I'm in charge of it. You know, there's no input from Vince. If there's a test and somebody fails, the doctor calls me. I call the talent and tell them you're off three weeks. Go home. Hmm. Just like that. Just like that. <laughs> wow. I think that is a kind of perfect stopping point. It's just, this is, I mean, it's just crazy with the... Uh, Jerry McDivitt dominating out there, then Jerry Jarrett comes in, and then Vince is exonerated. Just great stuff from that era. I mean, really, really such a key kind of pivotal moment in, in WWF history. But as we get into the plugs here, a new pro wrestling tea store has been opened where you can find and pick up a JJ Dillon shirt. So it's pro wrestling slash JJ Dillon. Please also check out his Patreon page, it has been set up where you can now become a patron and support the show. Check that out. I'll also, of course, check out tmptempire.com. On there, you will see a link for the this podcast, the J.J. Dillon Show. And on there, 
there will also be a link to JJ's website, jjdillon.com. On that website, I highly suggest getting JJ's book, Wrestlers Are Like Seagulls, From McMahon to McMahon. I have now officially an autographed copy of that book, which is awesome. Uh, any questions, comments, concerns, have you, have you, read, have you read, read the book? Yes, most of it. Great stuff. I mean, so detailed and, and so to the point. And like you mentioned to me, it is definitely different from some other wrestling books. You, you get much more, not to say that you're smarter than the average wrestler, but let's be honest, you pro- most likely probably, probably are. So you get much more uh, detail from, there are not from a lot you of people, than some other not wrestlers. Lot, not a lot of people in the industry that uh, have had the journey that I've had. Yes, that's Start, too. Yep. Started as a fan, as a teenager, like a lot of people do. And, you know, dreamed of getting in the business, got in the business. Uh, and then at that point, a lot of it is being the right place, the right time, which I was. And I ended up with, uh, when it was all said and done with, uh, uh, a career that I'm very proud of, you know, like I say, two hall of fame rings. And when I started, there were no hall of fame for, for wrestling. It was, you know, baseball in Cooperstown. So, um, it, it was a, a great journey for me, a very uh, learning experience. And as I've said many times, I, I'm continuing to learn. You never, if, if you figure you, that you know it all about wrestling, uh, then you better hang it up and quit because uh, I'm, I'm after like 60, over half a century of being around the business at, at all levels, including the highest executive levels, um, I, I'm still learning. It's a fascinating business. Uh, it's a 24/7 business. You can't do it part time, or you either you either ha- love this this profession, and to to be an executive at that level for the ma- a major company, it is uh, it is a commitment that that is a a total commitment. You can't do it part time. And I've uh, worked at the highest level for Vince as well as for uh, for Turner. Um, and as I say, I still don't know it all. I'm still learning because the business is forever changing. There's new people coming in and, and there are subtle changes, but it's a fascinating business. And like I say, I, I, I never, never cease to learn. And, and my autobiography is, is when people that review books on wrestling, um, I usually, it was published in 2005, so it's, it's coming up, um, uh, you know, let's see if I, yeah, coming up in, uh, you know, 15 to 20 years since it was published, but it's, it's a book about a 16 year old kid that fell in love with wrestling and dreamed that someday he could be a wrestler and that only in America, you know, where anything is possible, I'm living proof that, that, that you can, that you can live your dream. And if you, if you, un, if you are curious about how the history of our business was. It's a, it's a pretty good uh, his, history book uh, that I'm able to touch on all the changes uh, over a period of time. And if you wonder how the wrestling business is structured, how do people make money? Uh, I think it explains that pretty well too, about how what what roles people play and and how they're compensated to make a living from it. So it's um, it's very it's been received very well. And even though it's like I say. 2005 uh there's only the one edition that came out it's never been uh changed altered or added to absolutely and please if you want to follow us the show follow us on twitter at two man power trip and of course any questions comments concerns email a jj dylan podcast at gmail.com that is a jj dylan podcast at gmail.com and are you done with appearances for the yeah, uh, you got i some- i I am yes. I don't have anything uh, uh, at the moment until into next year, and I, I don't even have them in front of me. I I don't deal that far ahead in in in, in planning. Uh, I wait till it gets closer. But uh, again, just to uh, reiterate what you just said, the people that are listening to the show at home, and we you know we've 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 been on for a while, so you know what we're all about. And one comment that I or a couple of comments that I hear when I do live appearances and people come up and say, Oh, I really enjoyed your show. And, and, and I ask them, well, what is it that you enjoy about it? And they, one thing that they say is that 
unlike a lot of others, that it's obvious right away that I'm not somebody who has an axe to grind with somebody and using this as a uh, as a means of, uh, you know, fueling some feud or something. I, I'm I'm not into that, and I don't use crass language. Don't use it at home. So why would I do it here? It wouldn't be really me. And um, I'm just real, real proud of what it is and, and encourage the fans, whether it's correct uh, uh, criticism of something that they would rather see less of or more of. We don't know because we do the show for you, not for us. So we want, we want that feedback. Tell us what you like about it. If there's something that you don't, please encourage you to tell, tell us that as well because we want to con- just continue to get better and to, we want you to continue to enjoy the show because we do it for you. All right. Awesome stuff. And, of course, we are here every week, every Saturday at 6.05. So make sure you check it out, and please join us next week for a JJ, the JJ Dillon Podcast. This podcast was a presentation of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire.